Today's TripCast is presented by St. Mary's University's Master of Jurisprudence program, Legal Education for a Career Edge at the Law School of San Antonio. Learn more at law.stmarytx.edu. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, I'm gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas guys Texas talking. I'm Judge Elsa Alcala of the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. I'm looking forward to talking about the death penalty this September at the Texas Tribune Festival. In the meantime, enjoy this week's Tribcast. Here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, Judge. Now I know for sure I've been pronouncing your name wrong all these years. <laughs> that this... joke was funnier the first time. Yeah, well, I've now <laughs> told it twice. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the third week of July. I'm joined by CEO Evan Smith. Buenas tardes. It's the morning. I know that, but that's what I was saying all week in Mexico last week. So oh. <laughs> Executive editor Ross Ramsey, who's not just back from vacation. Howdy. It was good to be away. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It was. Speaking of St. Mary's <laughs> University, I ran into Pancho Navarro in the middle of the street in San Miguel. I haven't yet introduced Amon Bathija. <laughs> Morning. What's up, Pipsqueak? <laughs> Takes one to know one. You do realize out of context, <laughs> this just sounds mean. <laughs> <laughs> that I am out of context mean pretty much every minute of my life, so that's fine. All right, well, let's take a um, virtual trip to Cleveland, because Lord knows we don't want to be there in the flesh, uh, to talk about the GOP convention, uh, a place where a handful of influential Texans are gathered this week, probably not as many. Abby, (laughs) Alana. Alana, Justin. Right, Right, exactly. Um, Well, let's run through some of the headlines there. Uh, First, um, let's talk about Rick Perry. What has his role been at the convention thus far? And now Marcus Luttrell. That's what he did. (laughs) Basically, yes. introduced Marcus Luttrell. It was a really awkward picture of him shaking hands with Carl Rove this morning on Twitter. Wow. I mean, so he's like, he's like a celebrity, basically, is what he is. Rome I mean, helped right. make him agriculture commissioner. He, he yeah. talked for started. several minutes in which he did not mention Donald Trump one time. Well, and his his stick here seems to be, I really, really want to be in the Trump administration. But I mean, no one else yeah. seems to be going for that so aggressively. Living in Round Top well, must suck. Well, <laughs> right. you know, he's so <laughs> desperate to get out. Seems like a nice place. Oh, it's a great place. It's like job wanted. You know, he's... Uh, He's the unemployed former governor. You could understand why Perry, who has been in an executive position for many years, longest serving governor in the history of the state, with actual uh, knowledge and expertise and interest in at least one specific issue, veterans, Veterans, would make, for instance, a good veteran secretary. Well, he's unemployed. He he seems like he'd be a a fine choice. And I don't think anybody would begrudge him that. Why not? Right. No, I mean you can you can you can square and see Rick Perry in a couple of jobs in the in a cabinet. You know, the question is whether Donald Trump wants him in one. And, well, I might argue with you, know, you about that. Whether uh, Donald Trump wants him in one? No, I might argue with 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 you about whether there were several jobs that he would be right. At for. least I two. Think v, I think VA yeah. is good. What, what else? about agriculture? Yeah. What about commerce? Uh, what about trade uh, representative? Uh, I mean, there's a couple of jobs that you know com- you can maybe maybe you can plausi- Who's you he going to steal jobs from? You Canada? Can plausibly put Perry in. Um, in, in several of those jobs, the issue is these are conversations. Like you're, these are conversations you're supposed to have privately with a candidate, not not with like, the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you're like, not yeah, having like, them, like the Trump campaign is 
discreet and buttoned <laughs> yeah, right. up right now. You're going to do a, you know, if he wins, they're going to have like a 13-week reality show to name the cabinet. Yeah, right. Every exactly. Tuesday night. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting that, that Perry's speaking so publicly about that. It's like he's a one-man band marketing shop. He's like, you know, every time he's asked about it, he's like, here are the jobs. I wouldn't be a great VP pick, but I would be great, you know. For a guy who hates Washington, he sure wants to go I, to Washington. Well, he actually <laughs> says he, he wouldn't be good at VP because he wouldn't be good at the sort of wa- insider Washington politics. I think he said he wouldn't be good at VP long after he was out of consideration for <laughs> VP. I, you know, there was a point when he said, oh, yeah, I'd consider a job like that. You know, um, I, I think Perry wants to do something in government. And, you know, that's why he was running for president twice. And that's why he's having this conversation. It, it's a little bit open, but that's a lot... You know, that's a Rick Perry marker. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's done that kind of thing before. Well, Rick Perry has been sort of front and center. What do we expect to see from Ted Cruz? He is, you know, formally speaking tonight, uh, Wednesday. So whatever we, I'd, I'd so whatever we say will be wrong in a second. In a right. I'd yeah. be shocked if he endorsed Trump in the speech. I think it's entirely possible that he gives a speech but doesn't endorse. Do you think he will mention Trump? My memory— They must uh, have some understanding. My here. memory of the 76th convention is that Reagan gave a speech— Oof, you are old. I am. I'm super old. An old pipsqueak. Uh, yep. my, my, memory, my memory of this uh, of the 76th convention is that Reagan, you may remember this too since you're older. No, I was already in the nursing home by then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Reagan gave a speech after he and Ford fought it out and Ford got the nomination in which Reagan spoke but did not endorse. But and I suspect that that's what Cruz is going to do. I watched the video of that and Ford brought up Reagan at the end. It was like an impromptu speech. Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of an implied endorsement because Ford's the one who introduced him. Well, if Cruz is speaking at the convention, Cruz is not going to oppose I, Trump. I just don't think he's going to say the words, I'm for Trump. I'm, I'm, guessing, that's Pressure the, not I'm guessing that's the wrong year. I'm guessing it's 1992 and you're Pat Buchanan and you're going to do a culture war speech. So that's, Cruz's that's speech I, will that's have what, been better in I, the original German? Is that your point? <laughs> well, that was in Molly <laughs> Ivan's line, right? right I was right. sitting next to her. That was her line right after Pat Buchanan yep. finished talking. Maybe but, the most famous line. No. But the, you know, the thing with Buchanan in... 92 was this is the speech you give as a concession to the guy you beat in the primary. George Bush won the mm-hmm. primary. Pat Buchanan was the challenger from the right. And Buchanan came in and basically stole the theme of the convention and made it, you know, it's the culture war speech. And that's really what the Republican Party came out of that convention remembering. It led to the the contract with America in 94 and a bunch of other stuff. I think Cruz is trying to shape the future direction of the party. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, you know, in our newsroom and beyond, have talked about: Is this guy already running the 2020 campaign? Oh, 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 he, oh he is, I'm and sorry. I suspect that this speech should be absolutely uh, poured over for uh, a, road, a road, essentially a roadmap, verbal a verbal roadmap for the next. But that's that's what I think is going on here. I think it's I think it's like a Buchanan yeah. or a Goldwater. I'm going to set down the markers for what is future direction of the party, and then I'm going to be the leader who who takes that part. He's going to have to. He's going to have to steal the thunder back from Chris Christie, who what, what so is, far ahead them. What does Trump need? Ask yourself that. What Trump needs is not the establishment, <laughs> because the establishment has come around great setup reluctantly. <laughs> well, it's come around reluctantly, but it has come around to supporting him. You had McConnell speak. You had Ryan speak. Both endorsed him. You had Christie. Christie is the establishment. What you don't have yet the evangelical is the enormous side. enthusiasm yep. of the conservative wing of the party. There are still a lot of holdouts on the conservative end who disbelieve Trump's 
right. you know credentials credentials as a, yeah. and they even I mean you even had people somehow apparently I, when I wasn't looking Mike Pence became not conservative enough well That's isn't this remarkable the, I mean wasn't this story. the whole reason for Mike Pence I mean exactly what you're talking about to Unity. answer yeah well to but but specifically yep. evangelicals and yeah, social conservative movement conservatives right. to, point to, is to bring them in and, and he hasn't cruises people right in theory right. Pence has to make a vociferous compelling argument to the people on his side of the Republican pool, you know, regardless of whether what Cruz does tonight, Pence has to bring those people to the Trump ticket. And and I think it's probably doubled down because of the uncertainty over whether Cruz is going to help. Right. You know, Pence has, Pence has to do this job. Gingrich has to do some of it. He's going to talk. Um, Rubio's going to talk on it, you know, I guess on videotape, right? Uh, right. Rubio's on tape. Right. Uh, and Rubio hasn't endorsed, by the way. Right. Cruz right. is a great speaker when he wants to be. And if he gives this speech tonight, that's the speech everyone remembers from tonight, and he doesn't mention Trump, right? it comes off as right. he doesn't care about Trump and he looks like he's undermined the I party. I think he'll just go after Clinton. I, th- I, I bet he address he mentions Trump. I mean, we'll be all be wrong in a matter of hours, as Evan just said. <laughs> but I bet he mentions Trump by name, but I think this is just a you know full-throated um, attack on Hillary, and that's what gets remembered. So you're going Christie part two. I, I'm going future of the party. Doesn't mention Trump much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm probably a little bit more with with Ross on this. I, I don't think he won't mention Hillary at all, but I I think he'll f- frame his speech at least in part in terms of we can't let Hillary Clinton be president. But you can say that without endorsing Trump. And I would say as Exhibit A, Joe Strauss yesterday at the Texas delegation breakfast, who said, "I'm not a Trump guy necessarily, but I'm not voting for Hillary Clinton." Well, but he's come under, you know, some attack for those remarks because basically under this theory that, well, if you're not for Trump, you're oh, for he Clinton. doesn't he doesn't give a crap. I mean, there are people all over, I'm sure, in Texas who are saying, "You got to vote for Hillary on the off chance that Texas can be made to to flip this time." It can't. If you don't vote for Hillary, then you're voting for Trump. Mm. I mean. S- sort of. I mean, <laughs> this I, idea I, that it's a binary choice. This that, is a conscience. You might be voting for Johnson. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is a conscience vote that people will make, will take, and who cares about the mm. outcome? The outcome is going to be the outcome. And if Strauss or Cruz, for that matter, decide that they don't want to vote for Trump, but they, of course, won't vote for Hillary Clinton, they're just going to either not vote and only focus on down ballot. Then, then that's what they'll do. Well, speaking of sort of the evangelicals being who are or aren't in Trump's corner, you know, Dan Patrick obviously has been out there very aggressively saying Trump is my guy. Um, you know, he's managed to sort of steal some of the headlines for himself out at the convention. I think he was he was quoted saying what around the Black Lives Matter movement? That they uh, should be investigated by the AG. Yeah, and it was U.S. Attorney General. It wasn't completely clear that he was saying U.S. Attorney General. Contextually, it was, but uh, you know, for a minute, it was like he wants Paxton to do this. Yeah, I, you right. know, I think he wants the the federal government to do it. But anyway, he wants an investigation of Black Lives Matter. Which is he really just keeps uh, and a blue White House and a and a blue White House, right? right. Exactly. I mean, it's sort of like Dan Patrick Not to be blue as in the politics, <laughs> right? Blue as in blue just in the, the color, light. The, light. Right, right. the light, exactly. <laughs> so we're clear. Yeah. Semantics are very hard here. Yeah. What was the significance of McCall being, you know, the other Texan to be um, to to speak at the convention? I mean, do do we expect to see more from him? You know, is there a slot for him potentially in an administration or it? It seemed like a big slot. I think he was brought on to bring kind of foreign policy heft to the night, but I feel like his speech was completely lost, just drowned over by everyone else's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a flat speech. And you know, part of it, you know, these are weird places to speak. And, you know, see this with, you know, both the parties, 
with big conventions in general, you know, if you're talking to the room and you're trying to get the rhythm of the room, it's very hard because you're talking in a big cow palace. You're talking right. in a basketball arena. Um, the speakers who seem to do best are the ones who kind of ignore the crowd a little bit and talk as if they're on television. And McCall didn't do that. He's inexperienced at this. And then the content of the speech wasn't, um, you know, they didn't set up their speeches so that the speeches taken together or taken in line laid down an argument. They didn't do it on the second night either. And I think that each individual speaker suffers for not having made a point that was part of the bigger story that they were telling. You know, let, let, let me try to put McCall, as I read McCall's speech, read it and heard it in context. I, this convention so far has not been about making the case for Donald Trump, except in the case of the kids of his who've spoken. Who did who, a pretty good who, who job, been, actually. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought that Donald Trump. My dad's Jr. not as bad fine. as you think. Yeah, right. I thought Tiffany <laughs> did fine. He I writes notes on my report fine. card. Right. I expect they'll all do fine. But really, what this convention has been about more than anything has been about making the case against her rather than the case mm -hmm. for him. Right. On the theory that he has a ceiling, and the only way for that ceiling not to be fatal to him in November is for her ceiling to be a lower ceiling. So if you disqualify her, that's one route to being able to win. Right. Um, McCall did not so much make the case for Trump, except in the most general terms. Right. He really made the case against her. M my understanding in going into this convention was that uh, McCall was not a huge Trump fan. And in fact, I believe that McCall's quasi or full-throated, depending upon how you want to look at his speech, endorsement of uh, Trump during the remarks on Monday night were the first time that he's actually come out and said, I endorse right. Trump. Could he be Secretary of Homeland Security? Well, he's Chairman of Homeland Security right. in the House right now. Sure he could. McCall's been known to have ambitions to do something else. He could run for the United States Senate, although one, one wonders whether his politics are conservative enough at the moment to, to, to run in a, a primary in Texas and win. Well, he's got to wait for an open seat. He's got to wait for an open right. seat. There's that. Um, yeah, you right. know, he could, he, he's always been talked about as a potential attorney general. Mm -hmm. You know, I think McCall... A potential uh, state attorney general. Texas state attorney general. general. I, th I think McCall, to Amon's point... an interesting point, appointment. Amon yeah. is exactly right that um, McCall provides, by virtue of his committee chairmanship, heft. Mm -hmm. He's good at credibility. Because the whole argument going into this convention when they announced the schedule was that it was a really pretty light light on a lot of heft. Mm -hmm. Two right. programming notes from this morning's GOP breakfast in Cleveland. Um, uh, Ken Paxton's wife, who is known for her songs about her husband suing the Obama administration, was performing. I saw her up there with her guitar singing a song about her husband. The other thing at this breakfast this morning was a really... Um, I think a joke that probably fell a little bit flat about how Hillary Clinton wouldn't be the first female president, that Jimmy Carter was actually the first female president. That was Frank Luntz, I think. Terrific joke. Yeah. Yikes. Always, what, Jimmy, always is, good to accuse what, people of being female because they're quote unquote weak. What did he say? Weak. Jimmy Carter's a pussy? What's he saying? Yes, exactly. The, yeah, <laughs> yes. yes. That was the joke. Hey, great. Yes. Um, well, There was also um, Dan Patrick this morning getting really passionate about how upset he is with ABC over his town now, hall. I, I missed this because I was out over of the country. Over the town hall. The and town hall. How I, he was selected. We'll have a story up later this, today on this. I'm told he said something about this after the town hall, and I missed it. Yeah, rewind. It, yeah, walk rewind. Us through this. Yeah. So the, if you watch the town hall on TV... Uh, this was the town hall, sorry. The, I'm sorry. The president invited Dan Patrick to engage. Well, no, 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 no. Or the White House. The White House. Uh, well, right. actually, I, I think, I'm I'm not sure. I, th I thought it was ABC that invited him. Oh, all right. So My on, understanding was the White House. Hold on. I, okay. We, our story now in progress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. um, and if you watch it on TV, Dan Patrick gets up and, and uh, accuses Obama of um, not 
supporting police enough and not doing it forcefully enough and not having blue lights up in the White House. And Obama kind of, you know, slaps him back a little and says that, uh, you know, you just haven't been looking at what I've said and I do support police. And it kind of, it, it, Patrick didn't come off good, I felt, Mm -hmm. in the uh, exchange. And after it was over, Patrick said that there was more that happened, including a moment where he brought up um, the son of someone who was um, a victim of a shooting, and together, like he said, me and this 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 young man want to ask you to support police more. And there was this this few other minutes of um, footage that ABC cut, supposedly for time, mm-hmm. but Patrick feels it was selectively cut because it was the part where he came off better. Huh. And so he made an issue of that this morning, mm-hmm. and apparently is now. The, I'm told that the Team Patrick is going to turn up the heat on ABC for to release tape. the entire to thing. release the entire tape. Well, and. Um, well, was he pulling a stunt, or was he, you know, what was the, was Patrick pulling a stunt and they cut it for that, or was it, you know, what was the story here? I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't run these things endlessly on TV. He I knows mean, that as well as anybody but does, but I think. I mean, ABC had an hour, so I think there was a lot that was cut. Yeah, right, right. Um, meanwhile, I've seen one story so far about John Cornyn at the convention, and his and the, the headline was John Cornyn, you know, defending Melania Trump over her. Um, he was, yeah, he's one of the apparently people plagiarized speech. Either, either somehow the media either, is the problem. Well, he right. either by his own choice or because it was his assignment for the day decided, was one of the people. Or defending. somebody asked him. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I'm saying his assignment <laughs> yeah. for the day was one right. of the, you know, somebody get out there and defend uh, Melania Trump on this uh, plagiarism thing. And, you know, this is the couple of chunks of her speech um, appear to be lifted directly from chunks of uh, Michelle Michelle Obama's speech in 2008. Um, And apparently, weird sidebar, noticed by an unemployed reporter who was watching the thing in a Starbucks in California. (laughs) Nice catch, fella. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so they've got this big flap going over plagiarism. And Cornyn is one of the people of the next morning saying it's not a big deal. And then, to your point, saying, and the mainstream media is making a big deal out of this. Um, can, I, can I just say, with that regard to Senator Cornyn specifically, it seemed like a pe- John, an un John Cornyn like thing to say. The people in politics who are saying that the media has created this story or that the or Melania that Trump plagiarism story is Hillary not a Clinton's legitimate story, That's- these people are totally full of shit. Plagiarism is plagiarism. If anybody plagiarizes in the journalism business, they are immediately shamed and fired. No one who did what she did would still be working at a news organization the next day. If my kid or your kid did what was apparent from Monday night, they'd get kicked out of school. Right. Yeah. I mean, then there was a I mean, great it, story it, in the New York total Times. Total bullshit. Yeah. The idea that this is somehow not serious. Or that somehow the media created this problem. Right. right. Total bullshit. There was right. there the speechwriters have basically, you know, clearly they or their emissaries have come out and defended themselves and are saying basically, we wrote a speech, Melania decided she wanted to tweak it, and boy did she tweak it. The I, only I thing they left that a speechwriter had done this and now based on what you're saying, it's it pretty clear it was like her. I mean they her said the speechwriters are throwing her under the bus. The speechwriters basically have right. said you know, she kept the first sentence and the last sentence and right. everything else was gutted that the first time they heard it was when she delivered it. Well, you nobody, know. Nobody's been fired and, and uh, nobody's been divorced. And yeah, nobody's, right. and nobody's apologized. It's been right. fascinating That's watching true. Katrina Pearson, Trump's spokeswoman and a Texan, uh, defending this and having to spin it. And one of my favorites was her saying that um, English is not Melania's first language. Right. So some, I've, I've just, what does that have to do with anything? Copy paste <laughs> translates in any language. The, yeah. the, first thing, the first thing is you can't plagiarize. You can't plagiarize on a stage this size. See Joe Biden 
1988. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this has happened this. before. And this if you is, just yeah. apologized and went, my bad. oh, my God, this would have been a, well, a couple of hours of story as opposed to, you know, Paul Manafort, the campaign chairman, and other people publicly saying, in essence, this is nothing. You guys did this. Manafort specifically said this is another case of Hillary Clinton being threatened by a woman. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And taking her down. I mean, you know, again, uh, just what a load of you crap. You should pull a Doris Kearns Goodwin and say, I collect a lot of ideas Talk in my research. You know, right. I right. must have not changed the words accurately. You know. I had an yeah. exchange yesterday with James Frank, the state representative from Wichita Falls on, on Twitter, in which he said, you know, I'm skeptical about whether the media would regard this the way, you know, if it happened internal to the business, the way they're regarding it with Melania oh, Trump. And the re- response yeah. is, I can give yeah. you any number of instances oh, yeah. mm. in which in the media business, if this happens, we go, you know, medieval on the ass of the person who does this. Oh, totally. Right? Totally. Right. Fire that person out of a cannon. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about folks at the convention who wouldn't touch Trump with the 10-foot pole, and that includes <laughs> Joe Strauss, who is, has basically said, I'm at the convention because I'm helping to get other uh, get Texans reelected. Uh, Ross, talk about some of those Texans. He's now named some by name who he thinks, you know, he's concerned about their chances and wants to be defending. Yeah, if you're a nerd and you array the political districts in Texas according to past election results like I have, and you just basically do, you know. If you're a, a nerd, big, was the big f- Sheet, yeah, right. beginning of that sentence. If you, if you do a big spreadsheet and say, you know, um, how do presidential candidates or statewide candidates do in competitive races by legislative district, um, you find, first thing, that most of the political districts are very weighted for either the Republicans or the Democrats, more for the Republicans than the Democrats because they drew the maps. And there's only about a dozen districts where those races are close. And you look at those candidates who are in those races, and they're always going to have some kind of knife fight every election cycle. Ken Sheets, Cindy Burkett, um, J.M. Lozano, the Rick Galindo, Philip Castro back and forth thing. There's a couple of districts that are like that. Cortez. Cortez, sorry. Um, um, And Strauss is saying, you know, partly because it's true that he wants to protect his incumbents. I've got, you know, six or seven or eight districts back home that I'm going to be spending my time on. And partly because it's a great cover. I don't have to talk about the presidential race or Trump or any of this other noise up here as long as I'm concentrating on local races. So he went to the delegation in Cleveland yesterday and said, you know, I'm going to be spending my time in Texas working on this and talking to reporters afterward, uh, did not endorse Trump, just right. said, you know, I'm, I'll be back home. So how many of those races are legitimately nine. in play? I think nine. Legitimately. Nine. I disagree. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, which, disagrees. What does, which races which do you race disagree with? Which race do you think is a fake race? I think Galindo's real race. Yeah. I think uh, uh, Lujan is a real race. I think Lujan's in a very, very difficult position. He's in a Democratic district as a Republican in a general election. I think that's going to be very but he also, But he also had the good fortune of pulling the guy who couldn't beat, uh, he couldn't win the election. This is Tom, Tomas uh, Uresti. Uresti, right. He could not, Uresti couldn't win the last time. I, I think Lujan is not dead, dead, but I think Lujan is, that's a competitive race. I think a, Gilbert Pena is a competitive race. Right. You and I have had this conversation every two years for the last several years. Right. I don't think Ken Sheets is really a competitive race. I don't think Cindy Burkett's a competitive race. I don't think Rodney Anderson's a competitive race. I don't think Wayne Faircloth's a competitive race. I think I think that there would have okay. to be there would have to be a tsunami, relatively speaking. Hillary Clinton would have to do right. significantly better than Obama did either in 08 or 12. Or in Trump order, would have to significantly or underperform Trump would have to Romney. Collapse. And I'm just at, I mean, I'm just sitting here going, ah. 
Is there any risk to these folks of being on Strauss's sort of short list? You know, I mean, once you're named as somebody who's in, in theory, a competitive race, suddenly do the Democrats put more pressure on you? No, everybody knows what these districts are. I mean, yeah. you just look at the numbers and you say these are the competitive districts. And both of the campaigns, you know, the reason Republicans are the incumbents in these tight districts right now is because when they looked at these the first time, these were Democratic districts the Republicans thought they could win. And they went out and very carefully recruited Cindy Burkett. She's a small business owner in Ken Sheets, who's former military. And, you know, they were very, very careful about recruiting candidates they thought could win in these things. These have been target districts for both parties for 15 years. I mean, even before this current round of redistricting, a lot of these areas were... You may be proven right in the end here, but I'd be shocked that the, the Democrats would have to do significantly better or the Republicans, and specifically Trump, would have to do significantly worse, I think, to move the needle. I'm expecting that the legislature next time looks almost entirely like it looks this time. Well, and let's say you're... Well, I think that's probably... I think I think both things are true. I think these are competitive races and the legislature is going to look like it does. <laughs> look like it does. Well, and knowing what we do about voters, I mean, let's say you're a Republican who really just cannot bring yourself to vote for Trump. That doesn't mean you're going to vote for the Democrats. No, but it does mean that you don't have the option of straight ticket. I think one of the concerns right, that some people right. have is that the straight ticket uh, option being disabled means that somebody has to go through and go ling, 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 ling. And it means you might just stay home. If, right. I'm, if I'm John Lujan, I'm arguing against the straight ticket because I'm in a district in San Antonio where the average Democrat has beat right. the average Republican in a right. statewide race by 16 points. Right. And I'm a Republican. So if anybody vote, if, if all those Democrats are voting straight right. ticket... I'm a cooked, cooked goose. Right. How it, however, the one thing I would say on behalf of Galindo Lujan and Will Hurd in a congressional race mm-hmm. is that the normal year rules don't apply for two reasons. The first is this is not a normal year as it relates to the Democratic candidate. You had the most unpopular right. Democratic candidate right. in the history of presidential elections. And the second thing is we know San Antonio elections have been, say it with me, a dumpster fire. <laughs> Lowercase d. Lowercase d, right? Thank you. AP changed the style. Uh, Over the the last year, and no guaranteed uh, uh, victory for a Democrat. So they're toss-up races? Is that what you're saying? I think they're... they're, He just convinced himself the other way. (laughs) But I'm with you on those. Uh, I'm not with you on others. Well, back to Strauss for a minute. So so still, take me to the convention. I mean, how is Strauss being at the convention, you know, playing into these races. I mean, shouldn't he be back at home working these races? Well, he's not, yeah, he's not, he's not using the races to avoid the convention. He's using the races to avoid Trump. Right. And he's not saying I'm a Trump guy. Frankly, he wasn't saying I'm a Cruz guy. He was one of the first Texas politicians to say, hey, I'm a Bush guy. I've been a Bush guy for a long time. I'm Mm -hmm. with Jeb. And hasn't really revised that. He may yeah. be the highest-ranking official of the Jeb Bush campaign. Right. Yeah. Highest-ranking endorsement of the <laughs> Jeb Bush, Bush campaign. Jeb Bush got, I think, three delegates at the convention. At $50 you know. million dollars each yeah. in terms right. of what exactly. he spent. Right. Yeah, he, broke, he got the Connolly Trophy this time. He did. You know, yeah. the, uh, well, let's have a quick chat about Julian Castro. Obviously, there's been buzz around his uh, vice presidential prospects. This week, however, he has been in the headlines for a different reason, and that is uh, appears to be a violation of something called the, the Hatch Act. Who wants to walk us through it? You can't commingle uh, official government business and politics. This this goes back. We we've had a version of this here, right? Right. Who is the the, the, the great example of that in Texas? K. Bailey Hutchinson. K. Bailey Hutchinson. Right. Um, on April fourth, Julian Castro. Although Texas, I got to say, does not have something equivalent to a Hatch Act mm-hmm. piece. But and this is a conversation acquitted. that will be familiar to people who right. know Texas politics because right. if you go back twenty five years, ninety three, ninety three, right. uh, twenty three years, uh, there was a, a version of this. Uh, Julian Castro, Secretary of HUD, gave an interview to Katie Couric uh, at Yahoo 
in his capacity as housing secretary on April 4th. And at some point in the middle of the interview, he said something to the effect of taking off my HUD, HUD secretary hat. hat. Yeah. Right. And then he made a, a comment or three about Hillary Clinton and about Clinton's, Clinton's great, Trump's awful. Right. And about and, I'm not I don't think I'm gonna be to I don't think I'm gonna be a candidate for vice president mm-hmm. or whatever else. Right. A, a complaint was brought and it was found that Although that was he good believed, use of passive voice. Well, I don't know. I, I, well, it's, well, for one thing, it's, it's not actually not right, clear. It's a secret yeah, right. I have no choice but to be passive about it. Um, uh, he was found to have been in violation, technical violation of the Hatch Act, because even though he believed that saying explicitly I'm removing my, my HUD hat, hat right. gave him the clearance to do this. Now, see, I'm interested in this for this reason. So I asked, you may remember that we had Julian Castro at the Tribune Festival last year. And I asked Julian Castro to come, and I explained to him and to his people, I want you to come and I want you to talk about the state of politics, and I want you to talk about Latino, uh, uh, the commun- Latino community and the election and turnout, and I want you to talk about that. The response I got back was, he will come, but he will come in his personal capacity. It was a very specific designation. Right. And, he ca- and even when you introduced him, we were told you had to introduce him as the Honorable Julian Castro. You could not introduce him as Hudson. Secretary Julian Castro. So you didn't say the No, title? I said, can I, in the bio we provide on site or in the program, or when I speak the bio hmm. in introducing him, can I say he is the Secretary of Housing and Development? Yes, you can say it, but you can't introduce him as secretary. You have to introduce him yeah. as the honorable. It seems it's like this is splitting so he hairs. Was there well, it is person. a hair but, split. But, right. but, but so this all, the bell went off when this right. all happened because I was like, well, shit, shit did yeah. he violate the Hatch Act when he was in Austin? Probably. Apparently not because <laughs> the framing of it was that he was here in his personal capacity, which I had to say, mm-hmm. and I did say, and he was introduced as the honorable as opposed to secretary. But everybody knows what his role is. How can you ever really do, I mean, I think the, the purpose of the Hatch Act is you can't ever really do things in your personal capacity. I mean, well, uh, well yeah, but, but, but in fact, the Hatch Act apparently you can. I mean, well, he did. It's but he said you know, taking because, off my because hat. the capacity in which he gave the interview to to uh, Katie Couric was in his capacity as HUD secretary. There were no backseas in the middle of that. Right. That's so what he so what he should have said was, I can't answer that in yes. this interview. I can't answer that in this particular interview. But if you interview, I can't yeah. speak about that because I'm here in my official capacity. The, right. The I'm not here for politics. Thing, I'm here for. But so it has been found that this was a violation. But the weirdest thing about this is that the person who decides your punishment is. The president. It's the person who appointed you. Right. So it's not like, you know, I mean, whoever gets busted for the Hatch Act. Well, the place where you get busted on the Hatch Act is when you actually do something that's not, you know, like on the line like this, you know, that's the substantive. So you're flying around in a government plane ostensibly for the department that you work for, but you're actually helping in congressional races all over the country. Right. You're applying federal funds or federal resources to political purposes and that's the reason. The other way it applies is that it prevents political office holders from using non-political staff for political purposes. Or, it protects, or even technology, it protects, having it to have federal, cell phones. Well, right? it protects federal employees from being um, co-opted into political campaigns and things because it's against the law for them to do it. And so, say, it d- I'd d- like to help you, boss. But and if you notice, but Obama, it doesn't apply to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's an appointee. Well, but part of the reason right. that everybody got up in Ruth Bader Ginsburg's grill was because it was totally atypical, not unprecedented, but mm-hmm. 
rare right. and not looked upon favorably for somebody in that job to, to violate their and stated... She, and she crawfished right out of there. Mm-hmm. She, she came back and apologized. Well, um, the, 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 and Obama just pointed out that Obama yeah. actually, several <laughs> weeks before this Hatch Act uh, uh, violation was known by Castro, gave an, ex- gave an order to the effect that nobody in the cabinet could be out campaigning for Clinton right. during the... Right. Because he saw that this was a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, so, I mean, the so, real question. What, the what question really happened really, was timing. Here. Yeah, <laughs> right. The question I really want to ask is, does any of this hurt uh, Julian's chances of I, possibly I, I, I think enormously. I um, think yeah. no, because he was already dead. Yeah. I think I'm, he was I'm already Ross. dead, too. But let's say he weren't. I, I disagree that he was totally dead. As recently as last Friday, he was meeting with Hillary Clinton. Was Facebook. <laughs> as recently as last Friday, he was meeting with Hillary Clinton at her house to talk about the vice presidential nomination. I think the issue is in a year in which the person at the top of the ticket is seen as ethically suspect right. by some people. No more ethical suspects. You don't need to essentially have, you know, you know, jail cell for two is basically right. what the Republicans would say about these guys. Well, Leon Castro's right. background is not conducive to being a good running mate. I think he would have been attacked almost like Sarah Palin in just terms of like, why are you ready Lack to be president? Yeah. Well, today there's a story on CNN that says that uh, Hillary Clinton has told everybody who has been a candidate for this, I'm really looking for somebody with significant national security experience. Mm-hmm. And anybody who doesn't have significant national security experience is being bumped down the list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, I, th- I think for the reason. It's going to be Monza. Tim Kaine. It just seems like it's going to be Tim Kaine. I, yeah. I, you know. Don't make an unforced error. Pick somebody who. Who would you pick? Whose well, boringness is a virtue. You the, pick Kaine? At this point, if I were, I would probably pick Kaine just because you want to pick somebody, no sharp edges, you know, somebody who's got experience, who's, who's fluent in Spanish, who is, uh, you know, he appeals to a lot of people. He's never lost an election. You know, there's a lot about him that I think is really pretty interesting. The Washington Post said yesterday it's down to Kane and Vilsack. Yeah. Well, I'm going to prevent us. Vilsack from... makes Mike Pence look like yeah. Kanye. Vilsack <laughs> is super boring. I'm going to prevent us from making any more unforced errors and wrap up the Tribcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email them to Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. You can also sign up for Tribcast alerts at TexasTribune.org/Tribcast. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for doing our music, and on behalf of Evan Ross Aman and uh, our producers Todd and Rodney, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking about Texas talking, baby. I would like to have a conversation around that. Let's put that. Let's make that. Let's make that topic number one on the Tribcast. Yeah.